Welcome to Reputation Town. Welcome to episode 29 of the Reputation Town podcast, and we have a special treat for everyone today. Of course, John is here, John Peranak, and we are delighted to bring with us uh, a public relations maven, a crisis response rock star, and John, I'm not sure you know this, a TikTok celebrity, an actual TikTok celebrity. I wasn't aware. Molly McPherson from uh, Indestructible PR. Molly, thanks for being with us today. Calling me a maven is like calling me a woman of a certain age who should be graying my hair type oh, of uh, introduction. <laughs> okay, we're going to restart. Did anything? <laughs> <laughs> no, thank you. I love being here, Warren, and John loves seeing you as well. Likewise. Okay, we have five stories today in the crisis management world, stuff that's all happened kind of in the past couple of days. But Molly, I don't know if you remember, but before we jump into that, we ask people if they have anything that's kind of off topic, just you know, from your life, something you've experienced, a book you've read, a profound thought you've had. We call this off topic banter. So we'll start with John. So Molly can think of something good. And uh, John, anything you want to bring up? Uh, you know what? I, I read this uh, interesting book called The Billionaire Murders. It's like about a, a, a Toronto billionaire who was murdered. He and his wife were murdered. And uh, it's an unsolved mystery. And uh, it's an amazing look into police incompetence and um, just a crazy, crazy situation. But uh, so I highly recommend it. It's good, good read no matter where you're from. And uh, for many of our listeners, I'm, I'm sure they may have seen it already. But uh, I'd, if you're looking for a book to read, that's a good one. That's the Barry and Honey Sherman. Is that the one? That's right. Yeah. yeah. How, how is that unsolved? Also, like they're billionaires. There's cameras everywhere. How is this? How is this not solved? Well, we actually talked to the author uh, last week, and <laughs> among the things he points out were things like the neighbor across the street who had a camera aimed at the Sherman's house. The police didn't bother to come to get the video from that camera until I think a month after the murder, mm-hmm. and then figured out a month after that they couldn't figure out how to play the video. And anyway. Fill in the blank. Like it's it's a it's a it's a cascade of similar events of incompetence. So I, I'm guessing the book ends. There's no you can't spoil it because that hasn't been solved. So that's right. We said it's read. Okay, cool. Molly, how about yourself? Anything off topic you want to share with our listeners? Well, it's really on topic because this past week, it all started maybe two weeks ago, I started listening to Martin Short's, I must say, book. And so I've been so steeped in Canada and Toronto, and I mow my lawn to this book. And then all of a sudden, all hell breaks loose in Canada. And I'm getting all these comments on TikTok from people from Canada. So I feel I'm one of you. So the timing of this podcast could not be better. Oh, that's great. How's the Martin Short book? Oh, beloved. I love this man. He makes you love Canada. Not that I didn't love Canada to begin with. And so inspired that I even started listening to Bare Naked Ladies again. Oh, and so man. I am in your world, boys. Man, when I was in school, this is a long time ago, but at university, the place we used to go for lunch or have a beer or whatever, the Bare Naked Ladies would be playing there. But they were just nobody at that point. They were just starting out. Yeah, so I have a friend who is my my roommate in at Boston University. She said the very similar story yeah. uh, that she used to hang with them. But yeah, so I'm in your world, all. Let's let's get into uh, Canada crisis, eh? <laughs> okay, <laughs> we have to work on that accent, but <laughs> that was a good effort. I know, a little Minnesota New England lilt with uh, Canada. And hopefully, yeah. we can get you up here at some point. Bring you to Canada. Oh, I would love to do an in person pod. Yeah, it's about time. All right. So the first story, and this is the story that's been absolutely beaten to death over the past 12 days and counting. And, you know, obviously in the the business that we're in, when you're trying to manage a crisis, an issue like this, you want to avoid it altogether if you can. The ideal is a 24-hour, maybe 48-hour situation, and it goes away and it's resolved. So Lisa Laflamme, Bell Media, CTV, everybody knows the backstory by now, but uh, we're at 12 plus days and counting, and it's still smoldering tire fire. Uh, The latest thing is um, everyone's chiming in. Lloyd Robertson, the person that she replaced, is chiming in now, comparing her to a Shakespearean victim. And we had the logo for Wendy's Canada with gray hair yesterday. Dove Canada is doing their whole thing with the whole gray. So this story just keeps picking up steam and momentum. 
Molly, I know you've done some really cool stuff on TikTok about this. 12 days in, what's your take on this crisis? And what would be any takeaways or lessons for corporate leaders who are trying to figure this out or try to avoid it in their own companies? Well, when you mentioned about beating a dead horse, uh, not 20 minutes ago, I posted another TikTok about this because it's not one story that has been smoldering for 12 days. It is the loss of trust in every different avenue that you possibly can. Like if there was a bingo card of everything a corporation should not do in a crisis, it is Bell Media. And it, it, you know, and you know that it starts just with the firing and the inept firing. And I, in my response on TikTok, someone had said, you know, you are 100 percent wrong in your um, assessment of making a response about, you know, the victim. You know, people come and go all the time uh, in broadcast media. And, and, you know, it's a brutal, brutal business. We've all worked in it. I worked in it. Um, it. It certainly is. But it comes down to an area of crisis communication that I I am so focused in at in this this year and I think next year it's all it's going to be about the loss of trust and how you manage it it's when a corporation assumes they know best it's when a corporation assumes that their viewers their stakeholders aren't going to care you know whatever it is it just opens the door to all this uh all the chicanery that's going on you know uh behind the scenes and it's all coming to light so that's why that's my take on it is they keep not only have they lost the trust, everything they do is a step in the wrong direction to regain it. Molly, I'm, I'm, I'm curious to know, you know, as this story became part of, you know, general awareness in the U.S., how, how was it how was it framed? Like, was it framed by, um, you know, her being fired for her, her, her care, like her looks or how did it how did it arise? You can look at it and 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 John and, and Warren, you know, this like when Google like algorithms are designed to deliver news how you want to see it. So all the Google alerts that I was getting was uh, beloved Canadian broadcaster fired for gray hair, for her gray hair. So the framing in the U.S. that I notice, um, because that's what that's what people in the U.S., social justice, um, a woman, a woman of a certain age who gray, you know, who went gray was was being removed. Um, so that's the framing that I see. Now, I think I have a, a slightly different angle coming in because I have so many friends and colleagues like both of you social media so I see the Canadian media and how they're portraying it as well so it's not just um, the ageism it's the sexism it's the culture it's what happened behind the scenes and and even and I don't know if either one of you saw this story uh, from um, Dean Blundell I mean, do you yeah, both yeah. know him yeah mm-hmm. how they had said that uh, that there was an anonymous blog post written written um, warning brands like Wendy's Canada and Dove that they shouldn't uh, attach themselves to a story like Newsjack, a story like this, because there'd be so bl- so much blowback. And then it turned out that it was a subsidiary yeah. of, of Bell Media. You know what I mean? So that's why I love it. It's just a, a, a botched response is just like popcorn to me. I love it. <laughs> you just imagine some guy like in, in the office tower smoking a cigar. All right. Okay. We need a story. We need a story about the brands. Get someone to put this up for me. Cause it was CTV that made the story come out and everyone's like, this is such bullshit. Obviously, it's so obvious. Can you please try a little yeah. harder? Oh my God. Exactly. You know, Warren, I, like I'd be curious to, for you to rack your memory on this, but the, what I found fascinating was brands like, uh, like Unilever who makes Dove and, um, and Wendy's like they're, pretty much openly dunking on Bell Media, like another pretty large company. And they have relationships with Bell Media because they do advertising on their platforms yeah. and stuff. Like I, it's unusual uh, in Canada, especially small place, small market to see other companies dunking on a big company like this. But I think it just speaks to the, to Molly's point about the kind of, you know, a shambolic approach they took to managing this. But have you, can you recall any, any, similar circumstances where you got big companies like this This going over on another big company. This is not the first time Dove has done this. They they did this years ago with, I can't remember the exact situation, but it was something similar to that with women and women's bodies. Yeah. 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 And so that's kind of in, it's, it's in their brand. It's in their wheelhouse. And you could look at it a couple ways, right? There are some people who say good for them. High five. That's amazing. Some people are like virtue signaling and news jacking. My point is like, they didn't do it 
right out of the gate. They did it on day 12 and day 10. So mm. the crisis shouldn't even be happening right now. Like if they had their shit together, if they would have had a decent apology, if they wouldn't have had such a, can I say clusterfuck? I guess I can because it's our podcast. <laughs> it's your podcast. If they wouldn't have had such a mess in this whole situation, the brands wouldn't, like this should be gone. We should be thinking about something else. There should be another issue, another crisis. No one died here. A lady lost her job, got a big check She's sitting, I'd love to know how she's thinking about all of this. Like, is, is she, does she think this is great? Is she rubbing her hands together like Mr. Burns? Is she kind of like embarrassed by this? I don't know how I would feel, but it's just, this story shouldn't exist anymore. We shouldn't be talking about this today. I kind of feel bad that we are, but how do we, how do you not? So um, it, it, it I, I think of these large companies and when you look at these responses, like I sent out a tweet today. It was just like one of the 365 crisis tips, but it's basically everything you need to, to know to handle a crisis is, is available for free on the internet. And ultimately, and Molly, you've said this many times, it comes down to leadership. And this is going to sound like one of those little cliche quotes, but like I find that a lot of very large companies are ultimately run by kind of small people. They should be making better decisions. They should be doing the right thing. And they're doing the thing that's trying to protect themselves. They love the big salaries. They love the fancy dinners. But when the shit hits the fan, they all put their tail between their legs and they try to hide and this is the result. And we saw it with Rogers. We saw it with Bell. And this was self-inflicted. Like the Rogers thing, you could say, happened to them. Bell kicked themselves in the nuts. And here, 12 days later, we're still talking about it. Paranoid. Yeah, for a communication <laughs> company, they do a really poor job of communicating well, with the, the public. And this is why, this is my personal hobby horse. It's, it's no matter what kind of organization you have, you have to build a culture of issue management throughout the company so that people are looking for situations that, that could go sideways and at least be thinking about how you manage them. In this case, look, at the end of the day, if, if Bell Media decides it's time to part with Lisa LaFlamme, there's ways to do that without blowing yourself up in the process. And, but they didn't do the, the thinking to figure out anything beyond like the legal, how do we part ways? And they just, they just assumed that some sort of um, euphemism, quote unquote, business decisions was going to be enough to um, satisfy people's curiosity about why did you make this change? The reality is, is it created this giant vacuum so that somebody like Molly's in the U S and the world now sees it as, you know, Bell media, um, you know, firing women who have gray hair. So, yes. And John, you may see this in your work too. Uh, whenever you see a poor business decision and I, because I work with clients, I, you know, I see it internally. And then when I see a bell media, that's just, that's just another version of something I've seen with my client base is when you see a poor communication rollout like this, it's almost always indicative of another problem. It's a symptom of some other problem, whether it's culture or like Warren, like you said, it's, it's a small minded opinion of a small group of people that determined that they know best. And it is interesting that we're still in a time, which it's a bonus for me and probably you too, uh, John, well, and Warren, all yeah. of us, is that people still have this type of thinking. And you're thinking about like Warren, the guy in the office, the old white guy in the office, yeah. you know, the baby boomer sitting there thinking they know best. But what they don't understand is the absolute power of the medium of the internet and social media and, and stakeholders claiming their own opinion and that is taking over any business decision that anyone makes. It's the impact of social media. And Molly, I'd be curious about as, as a as a woman who's worked in the media, how do you feel about a story like this when you see because because the guy that she replaced worked until he was seventy seven years old. Uh huh. So uh -huh. Do, yeah. Some thoughts, feelings. Oh well, here's the benefit of of TikTok, which people are always knocking the talk, dunking the talk, as John would say. Um, but why I love it, it is a window that is wide open into the minds and opinions of so many different people. And all these Canadians in in my comments and DMs are telling me, well, one, thank you for noticing us. Thank you, you know, for talking about something that's Canadian. And uh, but also, I mean, just the commentary from staff, current staff, past staff, um, people who've worked in broadcast media. I mean, the stories that I'm hearing about the culture of Bell Media, and it's not just Bell Media. Whenever I do a quick touch on a company, I will get people that will come in from the inside. And it's fascinating when people tell me, 
you've nailed it. Like, how do you know this? And I, of course, I love that because inside people love to spill, you know, it's like blind gossip. Um, But also as a female of a certain age, I worked in broadcast media. I worked in television. It is a brutal industry. And Warren, as you pointed out, people get let go all the time. Aging women get like, you know, are let go in broadcast media all the time, but it's how they handled it. That was so poor because they've insulted every single woman of a certain age. You know, it was a trigger. Mm. And it's, it's ultimately about relationships, right? Like who, who knows who Michael Melling is? No one knows until a couple we, of everybody, weeks ago. Everybody, everybody, well, Warren, we do <laughs> no now. one did. And now we do. But here's a woman who's been looking into the camera for 35 years building a relationship like if you went and you know how jay leno used to have that what on walking down the street what did he call that jaywalking Jay and if you just put a microphone in a random canadian's face and say name three journalists in canada she was one of the top three people maybe the top two that people would remember maybe the top one and i think they really treated a, a relationship like a business decision and they're still paying the price and i don't know what's going to have to happen for this to uh, to go away so anything else on that one john you have any final thoughts uh, no, I think you guys said it well. Okay. I was going to see who the next logo is. I was looking up logos with faces to see who was going to be the next one to do it. And uh, there's not that many. I, I thought uh, Kentucky Fried Chicken, but that guy's hair is already white. So His hair is already white. He's already you know, just one other thing on that, though, the Wendy's, though. the reason, Another reason why I think it's so wise of them to do that, because one, that Wendy's is known kind of as a roaster on yeah. social media. They do a very good job. So Wendy Can- uh, Wendy's Canada, the same thing. But extreme marketing is so effective in social media. Mm-hmm. So that is what trumped probably the ad dollar relationship between Bell Media, their subsidiaries, and Wendy's Canada. Maybe they sent them a box of uh, Dave Thomas burgers or something. Okay, so extreme marketing is a great segue for our next story. And we were actually debating, do we talk about this, do we not? But we're going to briefly touch on Andrew Tate, who another guy like Michael Melling, how do, why do I know who this guy is? Andrew Tate has, um, I'm sure everyone kind of knows who this guy is by this point. Within the last few months, he went from relative obscurity to what he called himself the most Googled person on the planet. And apparently he had metrics on Google Trends to back this up. He was getting more searches than the Kardashians, more than Joe Biden. Very polarizing figure, thousands of videos. And he had a really interesting technique. Instead of him having his own social media channels, he had thousands of affiliates in his Hustlers University kind of multi-level marketing scheme, sending these videos out on his behalf. So kind of like evil genius in a way. Anyway, this past week, he was banned from everything, ultimately canceled. And I know, Molly, you've done episodes on that in the past. Uh, Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, everything, gone. And um, so just get some quick thoughts on this. What? Why do we think that this guy was was canceled? Because... The stuff, and I'll just say this to kind of set the table, the stuff that he said, um, you can take out of context or whatever. He said some pretty nasty things. uh, But at the same time, the Taliban, the last time I checked, has a Twitter account. And like three or four representatives of the Taliban with like quarter of a million, 360,000 followers each are still on Twitter. So I'll just throw that in the mix to kind of muddy things up a little bit. What are your thoughts? And Molly, why don't we start with you? Well, the discussion of what, what hate is too much hate for social media is ongoing. I mean, just even today, uh, Mark Zuckerberg, the head of Meta, who owns Facebook, uh, that owns Facebook, you know, came out and said that they apologized about, you know, censoring stories about Hunter Biden. So it hasn't been clear. There are no clear guidelines and policy for how um, media entities and social media entities handle hateful, inflammatory, misogynistic commentary okay and and because we are in a very social social climate not just social media but just social activism that people become too hot to handle so and 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 andrew tate to be honest i'm not that generation i had to google the guy and so for someone to say the most googled guy on the planet no i'm gonna i'm gonna question that show me the receipts on that wait wait a second how did you find out about him Oh, some guy uh, told me about him. I and think then, his name is Warren Weeks. And then you had to Google him, right? So. Yeah, well, I well, that's true. Who is? What he's not saying is, yeah, 
who is Andrew Tate. That's what it should be. But but before we go, I, I do want to touch on this other part of it too, and that's and how people become so influential online is that he's tapping into affiliate marketing, affiliate dollars, and that whole type of uh, online influencing culture, which I touched on in a TikTok post about uh, J-Lo and Ben Affleck using Jay Shetty as their officiant for their wedding. He's another guy like an Andrew Tate, not of the same vein, but of they achieve prominence the same way socially. And and so that's another angle of it is how did he become so powerful? And that's the the monetizing of his brand on social. So that's another reason why he has so much power. And it, it seems that there's a formula that this guy has, um, has has manipulated in a really effective way. Uh, mm-hmm. I would I would and not to compare these people, but I've seen like if you look at someone like a Donald Trump, Donald Trump, as he was going through um, when he was running for president, the crazier the things that he would say, like I would always think, oh, that's the thing. He's gone now. And he would get bigger. He would say some other bad shit thing. And I'd say, OK, that's the thing now. And he would get bigger. And so you have these these polarizing statements that some people love, some people hate. And that seems to be the oxygen for this fire. Lady Gaga, I would say, in a way, created a character, much different, very talented, but she created a persona, like, her name's Stephanie. Like, if you want something really interesting, go to Google and look it up. What's her name? Stephanie Germanata. Yeah, yeah. Oh, very good. There's some stuff in there. So, and there's a video of her playing piano and singing at this bar in New York, and she's a good musician, but then she had this moment where she created a character. Like, I really believe that this guy is not what you're seeing I don't, I don't know him, but I think if you hung out with him, he's not what you're seeing. He created a character to um, to manipulate this system, and and this is this is what you get. I find it really fascinating. And now, he, within a couple of months, he went from obscurity to this huge figure, and now he's gone. Paranak, weigh in, please. And I think you guys are onto something here, and, and just this idea of um, the platforms being the the, the catalyst to allow some someone to take that persona, take that content approach to, you know, connecting with people and, and, and basically distributing it far and wide. The reality is, is that like when, if you go back to your first question, you know, like what about cancellation in these types of situations? There's going to be no way unless you come, unless there's an AI solution to this one day where you can, you can give the AI some sort of, you know, logic structure to look for stuff, take out there's It's all going to be a bunch of one-off decisions. And that's why you're going to have all these inconsistencies at the end of the day. These are just companies, right? And companies can choose to have on their platform who they want and who they don't want. And, um, you know, as we know, what, what, what drives news and attention. But is it that simple though? Can, is, is something like a Twitter just a company that can choose who to have on the platform or not? Like ultimately, if as a human being living today, if you want to have a business, if you want to have a career, you have to have some sort of online presence or footprint and forget the content in Andrew Tate for the for the time being. And you talk about AI and algorithms, but they're all being programmed by people. And mm-hmm. and and increasingly, it seems like the political leanings of those people are weighing into those decisions. So they might be able to hide behind the big blue bird logo, but ultimately, there's some dude named Chad making this decision. Maybe his name's something else, but yeah, you know but what I mean. Like that's the way it's always been with newspapers and newspaper you know, can't cancel you. Uh, no, but they don't have to give you attention either, right? Or they don't say you don't have to run your ads. Like I don't know. Like I think I think this whole idea of you know. Uh, there's some sort of right to be online or entitlement to have space on these platforms is just misplaced. I think, I think you have to, you have to, you know, um, live within the rules that these, these private companies set. And that's, that's the reality. Molly, you're in the U S of a land of freedom, the land of the Eagles, um, first amendment, free speech. We don't actually have that in Canada. We don't have what you have in the United States. So mm-hmm. w- through the lens of free speech, and I'm not looking for you to defend this guy, but don't you think that it's, it, it is, or do you think that it's a slippery slope where, where does this go three years from now? Or do you get canceled if you like the wrong thing? I don't know. 
Yeah, well, you know, it's two questions of, you know, the like the social media platforms. I, I'm kind of with you on that. Like, I don't like censoring people just because we don't agree with them. Andrew Tate and the Andrew Tates of the world and the Donald Trump and that ilk, you know, that's extremism. And extremism only sells to a segment, you know, of the market. So a lot of brands want to step away from being attached to someone who's too extreme or someone who is inflammatory and just and has hate speech, you know, against women that doesn't sell, you know, women is a market. We don't want to piss off women okay? because women spend a lot of money. So it's it's that affiliation with them. But, I, you know, I'm with you. It's like I don't like the idea of social media channels banning people and ideas. There's too much power there. And we saw what happened with Facebook and we saw what happened with elections. Um, it's it's not an easy one to solve. So, yes, he should be able to to roam about and capitalize on that brand. But if he is endorsing hate and he is endorsing um, misogynistic thinking, then someone like that should be banned. I mean, we, we shouldn't have someone like that, you know, on platforms uh, that people that he can impress young boys. So my, my final thought on, on this guy is I don't think it's so much what he said. And I don't have an encyclopedia of everything that he said here. He said some interesting things, some crazy things, some some arguably misogynistic things, whatever. I believe that it was his scope, not his content. I think he got too big, too fast, and oh. some people were like, because I'll tell you, I you know you worked in journalism. Um, I have a sister in journalism who regularly receives um, angry notes, on some occasions threats by by uh, through Twitter DMs. And um, I have taken those, sent them through. She's reported it to Twitter. These are direct physical threats. And they would come back and say, this does not go against our guidelines. So these people are still out there because they have a picture of a cat as their avatar and eight followers. And um, they don't have the reach. So, or maybe it's a combination of the content plus the reach. But there's some, he was, this guy was pissing somebody off with the way that I think he had manipulated the system. And I don't, I don't know what his next act is going to be. I don't think we're done hearing from this guy. I think he's got something that he's cooking and we'll, we'll, we'll see what happens. Mm-hmm. Anything else yeah. on that? Or we want to leave this one in the dust. Okay. Let's, we can move on. I think. <laughs> All right. <clears throat> so if we're going to bash bell media, I think we should give Rogers equal billing. Rogers obviously had that huge technical outage about a month ago. Um, they thought that that was all in the rearview mirror. And they recently sent out, so today there was a story in the Globe and Mail that Rogers put out a report. And the headline here in the Globe and Mail, um, uh, well, this is actually from August 24th. Rogers redact details around network outage in new reply to CRTC. And that is the organization, the uh, Canadian Radio, Television and Telecommunications Commission related to the July 8th outage. And so basically, this report had huge segments of it that were just crossed out. And Rogers said in its filing, and this is a quote, any possible public interest in the disclosure of the information in these responses is greatly outweighed by the specific direct harm that would flow to Rogers and its customers. So you have not only a lack of transparency, you have a company deliberately trying to hide the reason for the outage. That again, you go back and remember, they said it was a technical glitch. We were updating our system, something went wrong. If that's the case, why do you have to black out all these sections and basically say that there's a threat to not only to Rogers, but to its customers? Um, Paranak, why don't we start with you? What are your thoughts on this? Um, Do you think they're trying to protect corporate secrets? Are they trying to hide a a ransomware attack? Or is there something even more nefarious going on? Or is this just corporate um, selfishness? Well, I think what's happening is they don't want to share too much because it'll, it'll maybe, it may provide competitors information about how their systems are structured and stuff. But my guess is their competitors are smart enough to figure that out themselves, given they're, they're in the same businesses. But I think at the end of the day, like this speaks to more characteristic of the Canadian marketplace when it comes to communications. It's a very small market. It's dominated by a, a small number of very large players. And really honestly, uh, they're probably thinking that if we just um, keep quiet and and only share 
the bare minimum of information. We're just going to wait this out. And in six months, people have forgotten it. They've gotten, you know, people have gotten the rebates who were inconvenienced and we're going to talk about how we're got a better system going forward. And a year from now it's, you know, business as usual. And uh, they will smooth over ruffled feathers with the regulators. And, uh, and this won't be a thing. That's, that's kind of what I figure is happening. Molly, as again, this is a Canadian situation, completely different from what's going on in the States. We have like two or three providers. Our rates are outrageous. You have much more competition. That's the huge difference. The market is like, yeah. I'm sorry, Warren. Go ahead. I heard there are people in the States who use their American SIM card here, and they say that it's cheaper than getting a Canadian one. So, which is crazy because they're paying roaming fees and all that. So, Molly, any thoughts about, um, and we're obviously guessing here, but what's the motivation behind the company trying to hide this? What do you think when there's a lack of transparency? Well, and when a lack of transparency presents itself in an area that people really care about, because the the acceleration of a crisis, too, is how much it impacts the victims, right? Like, Mm -hmm. who are the victims in a crisis? I work with a lot of utilities. So um, I understand when broadband goes down, when a phone goes down, when the power goes out, when it directly impacts someone. Like, Warren, you just said, when your phone went out, that's, I mean, that shuts down your day, right? It's, yeah. it's like losing your right arm when you don't have a phone. That heightens the fear of people. So you, they're getting a reaction. So when you mix fear with a lack of transparency, it is almost a guaranteed crisis. So whether it's, it's broadband, um, a phone or power, they all feel the same. There's worry there. And when someone isn't upfront with, with admitting what happened. So the, and I remember when all this happened, because of course I followed both of you along with some other Canadians, but when the communication channel shuts down, um, people are worried, people are scared, but they're also looking for answers. They want remediation immediately. They want to know how are you fixing this and how are you going to make sure this isn't going to happen again? We understand how you feel. We know we know how stressful it is not to have this this power. This is what happened. This is what we're going to do about it. And then they need to show a commitment to how it will never happen again. None of that happened. And so for the final analysis to come out to say everything is redacted, Again, it's a matter of trust and they lost it and it absolutely continues. Hmm. Well put. To me, it makes me, we always say that when there's a lack of transparency, you end up with a vacuum. So it opens up rumor and speculation, right? So the two things that come to mind for me are maybe the cause was so simplistic. Like we've seen situations where a company has these, what company was it? They had the very highly paid security person and their password for the company's servers, like password. Do you remember that huge company? Oh, and then the security, the IT person was like a music instructor or something. I forget who was that. I remember this. I can't remember it, but yeah, it was password. I'm going to Google that while we're, uh, while we're looking. Um, or it was really, really, really bad. Was it a cyber attack from a foreign country? And, um, they were trying to say that it was something like, when you don't explain what it is, that's that's where my mind goes. Either it was something embarrassingly easy or it was something nefariously terrible. Or, or see, it could have been a cyber cyber attack, but I mean, cybersecurity issues and, and hacking is so prevalent now. I mean, the fact that LastPass, which protects passwords, was just hacked, <laughs> that ironic cyber incident, you know, people are accustomed to it. Reasonable people understand it now. What I think could have been at play is legal gets involved. When you get lawyers involved, they have this allergic reaction to apologies. They have allergic reactions to putting the truth out there that it feels like maybe someone got into the ear and said, you don't need to say anything. Someone who doesn't understand uh, communication, crisis management. And we know this, right? When when lawyers get too involved and they become the decision makers behind a communication crisis, then you've created an adjacent crisis. Very nicely put. Okay, Paranak, this is one that you sent in by email. The Finnish PM is uh, Sana Marin, got in some trouble for just having some fun, dancing with some friends. And you had some interesting thoughts about this. So do you want to tee this one up for us? Sure. I think most people have seen the the video of her dancing and having fun with friends that kind of leaked out. It was meant to be a private video. And really, she's not really. She's doing nothing wrong. She's was dancing and having fun with friends. And and what I found fascinating about this, and this is more a comment on the media generally, is you know how much airtime this got 
And I actually saw someone who posted online a list of the of nine other things that happened in Finland that week. And, you know, Finland uh, having sharing a long border with Russia uh, has national security is definitely one of the things that's always top of mind. But this thing overtook not only their country's media, but global media and 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 put the prime minister in a position where she was having to, quote unquote, defend herself. And it, it was completely a manufactured um, circumstance because of the way the media reacted to this video being leaked. Um, it, it reminds me in some ways of, you know, media works in a certain way as we know, like it's, they're a system. And and when we do media training, right. Or we, we coach people on media relations. We, we talk to them about how do you interface with that system and how can you take advantages of, of weaknesses in the system or defend yourself against the strengths of the system. It's also, I think, one of the reasons why uh, when you when you mentioned earlier, Warren, so the whole Trump um, phenomena, how in some ways that system is in, uh, incapable of dealing with in, uh, outlandish inputs into it because they're they, they're they almost like pre-programmed to repeat them and help the person saying the outlandish things. In this case, outlandish, uh, it, it fill in you know just sort of interesting versus outlandish like there was an interesting video because oh here's you didn't expect to see the prime minister dancing with her friends and as a result it got it got a ton of attention and this i personally i think this is one of those situations where i think the media itself has to take a look at itself and say we need to change the way we do things so that when someone is saying something completely outrageous even if they happen to be the the president or the prime minister we're just gonna make a decision not to run that because them saying something that's just falsely untrue or completely false or untrue or just ridiculous, we can make a judgment call and say, we're not going to give that airtime. And by the same token, when you see someone just having fun with their friends, we're not going to um, create a crisis in government just because it's going to get us more ad revenue from, uh, from covering this, something like that. Anyway, that's just my, my hobby horse. I'm not sure what you guys think about it. Molly, what's your take on that story? My hobby horse. I love that. Well, it's my, here's my hobby horse. Part of it was her response, how she responded to it. So John, when you mentioned that it was given airtime, it was given airtime for a very compelling reason because it had an element that makes good news stories great and they make them lead are the ones that have video. Okay. People are going to click on video. Eyeballs go to video. Video runs, um, generates eyeballs and eyeballs generate ad dollars. So there was probably a big part of that decision was just in the video. What I found fascinating, and again, I posted it on TikTok. So I got a lot of feedback from people and it was 100% unanimous in support of her on this post, you know, uh, you know, discussing what her response was and the shift that she made, why I loved her response was one, she came out and admitted it, like acknowledged it right away. Yes, it's true. I'm not going to hide it. I'm not going to paint it like it was something else. And then put it in context. I was having fun with friends in a private setting and a video that was leaked. Okay. So now she's framing it in a way that she's owning that crisis. And as she's doing it, she's diminishing it. But then part of her messaging that I absolutely respected and loved is she put the context of her generation so she is perhaps calling out people maybe she knows people who've made that decision at the media companies there that are older she's stating i'm a different generation we are a social media generation this is how we live this is this is why it ended up in video that you could see how i spend my time in private so she was able to take that story and and own it herself and so that is the response that i thought was spot on and the reason why i think if they were to do a poll on her a likability poll it probably shot up right after this i agree and in a way has the media not changed over the years and i know this is a generation ago but you think of like jfk young guy good looking guy president of the united states cavorting with young ladies in the pool in the backyard that aren't his wife there was a there was a kind of a rule back in those days you didn't write about that stuff you didn't put that in the, the paper like the reporters knew about it but it was like wink wink nudge nudge even in the sports world the people on the sports beats would know all the stuff was who was banging who and who was drunk driving and who was, you know, whatever. And there was this understanding that that stuff wasn't printed. And here you have, it looks like all those rules are off. Like media seems so broken today. Clickbait, disappearance of outlets. It, it really is a kind of dystopian media uh, landscape. And then you have a story like this, which is really a non-story. She took a drug test. No positive. Like it was, and I agree with you that her reputation is kind of on the upswing because of this because she handled it directly and handled it, handled it very well. 
Um, found out the company with the music degree IT person, Equifax. 2017. Oh, of course. Of course. See, it was the ironic crisis that it was Equifax. Yes, that was very good. We cannot let them off the hook. And so, uh, John, anything else on the finish PM? No, I think you guys had some great comments. I really really, uh, agree with what you were talking about. All right. So why don't we finish, pun intended, (laughs) with the Hockey Canada story. So this is a long, meandering, uh, smoldering crisis there will be many other um, elements and shoes to drop on this one. But the story that we wanted to focus on today in the sort of limited time that we have was related to Marnie McBean. So three-time Olympic gold medalist, um, beloved Canadian, I think, wasn't she the flag bearer at one of the Olympics? Like really superstar in in rowing. Mm -hmm. And so she was, uh, Marnie McBean says that she was asked by a representative from a leading crisis management firm, Navigator. People in Canada will be familiar with that, that firm. Um, Navigator was hired by Hockey Canada and they asked McBean to join a committee that is going to supposedly look at the organization and hold them accountable because they've talked about having this change and smashing the, the barriers to, you know, all this like highfalutin words. Anyway, it turns out that the offer was withdrawn about a week later. And the reason why was Marnie McBean said that she would join the committee on the condition that Hockey Canada's top officials were removed from their positions. Um, to make it clear that they want to make the change that they have. Like, there's a lot of work to do here, so they wanted to, to change the executives and the members of the board. And the implication there is that she has no um, faith that those folks are going to do the right thing. And so she had a quote, actually. The definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over and expecting a different result. McBean said, this is in a story on TSN, I said I would be involved, but that it would require a change in senior leadership and a board that was prepared to do hard work, which could include updating and or replacing themselves with others who have skill sets required to do the work. So um, that story comes out. McBean is gone. Navigator is outed as the crisis management firm, which kind of makes it worse, right? Because if you have Navigator, you're in deep shit. And so we have all those elements here. Um, Molly, why don't we start with you? This is a new story that we kind of just updated you on, but I'd be really interested in your take as an outsider who, but you're a hockey fan too, aren't you? Yeah. And not only I am a hockey fan and I am an outsider, but I'm also now a huge fan of Marnie. Molly McPherson loves uh, Marnie McBean (laughs) and what she did. I mean, she took a stand there, which I love. She easily could have gone along with the, with the good old boys and just been a part of the board, you know, and been up and would have been a probably very lucrative position for her as well. But the fact that she spoke out. So one, maybe she understood that she was appointed for window dressing. You know, they, they find a female athlete. They probably had a list they probably had a hot list. Who's our hottest former athlete, you know, whatever. And, uh, and they came down. So we come down and we settle with Marty McBean and they probably properly did not vet her. <laughs> she probably did not sign any NDA to not, you know, to let people know who hired her and why they hired her. And the fact that she spoke out, she was being an activist for a cause. And I find it so commendable what she did. And she knew she's savvy enough to know that outing, a crisis company navigator asked her wasn't even anyone from from you know from hockey it was the you know the crisis team so it was part of this strategic action plan to get a woman to come in and she said no not on my watch and i'm going to blow this up i love it that's your tiktok clip right there you just clip that out <laughs> throw it on tiktok i'll send you the video that was that was great john right. john what do you think so, well, Navigator's a competitor of ours, so I'm not, I won't, I won't talk, talk like that. Oh, boo them! But, uh, you know, it just speaks to this idea that, I go back to, <laughs> I, I'm famous for using uh, time data references that none of my colleagues understand anymore because, you know, they're from, <laughs> they're all too young. It's but your hobby horse. It, it's like... <laughs> You know what really gets my goat? <laughs> but uh, you know what? If, you, if you're going to be in the courtroom, you, you don't ask the defendant to try on the glove without knowing whether it's going to fit or not yet, right? And and not really knowing what the position Marnie was going to fully take if you're going to put an offer out to her before you, you know, sort of laid all this out was was obviously uh, a bit of a weak spot. But and and the idea that somebody's going to come into that situation and, and offer themselves up as a, um, a token, you know, to, to paper over the, the longstanding um, issues that are just only just starting to, to, to emerge. 
uh, you know, thanks to some journalists like Rick, uh, Rick Westhead um, and others who have been looking at this for quite a while. Like, I think it speaks to a bigger challenge in sport broadly of abuse and um, just poor behavior, um, criminal behavior often that has been swept under the rug. And I think this is, um, this is only the start of this sort of reckoning that's happening. So anyway, back to, back to how do you manage this? Um, if I'm hockey Canada, I'm actually not trying to manage this for the short term. I'm trying to manage this for the long term and managing it for long term means thinking about the health of the sport, uh, for the next 30, 40, 50 years. And, and putting the organization in place for success inevitably means I need to take really, really strong and, and, um, and bold action so that I'm, I'm out running all the people who are trying to take me down. Right. I I need to take action that is, is going to surpass anything that people are going to suggest. So adding one person onto a board is not going to be sufficient to do that. Mm. And so I'd be giving them advice to, um, to really think more, more, more long-term and broader and, and you, you be the one to control your destiny by, by suggesting the kind of change that you want to see versus waiting around and just like dying a death by a thousand cuts and then having some sort of change forced upon you and some, with some, who knows, like, you know, government doesn't regulate this to that extent, but you never know, like uh, the government provides a lot of money to, um, to organizations like this and can, can really uh, wield its influence if it wants to. Do you think it's inevitable for the president of Hockey Canada, the guy named Scott Smith? And and I'll, I'll give a side note here because in in our preparation for for a podcast like this, we do research, go to the website, check out the news, go on Twitter. I went to Hockey Canada's website, and I would consider myself, you know, I grew up on the internet. I'm a pretty good searcher. I cannot find the executives of Hockey Canada. I can find the board. The board is listed there. You the, the executives are not listed on their site. And I find that curious. And I don't know if that, I was trying to play around on the Wayback Machine and see if they were at some point. Um, But this is a group, they are the largest national sports organization in Canada, extremely well-funded. Molly, I don't know if you know this fact, but they, it it came out a few months ago that they'd paid like seven point some, like $7.6 million in sexual abuse settlements um, from a, from a fund that was paid by children's hockey fees. So like a lot of really messy stuff going on here, but the a long way to ask a short question, don't you think that there's this pressure being built up and isn't it, it seems to me like it's just the president hanging on to his version of what his life was going to be like. And until he or the board lets go of that, that they're going to be stuck in this crisis. Doesn't that make a naughty Molly, uh, you're nodding your head. Yeah. Oh, without a doubt. And I, I mean, uh, brava for going to the Wayback Machine to see if you could find that information. But Hockey Canada, the Hockey Canada website is exactly like the USA Hockey website. Okay. And the, and why do I go to the USA Hockey site? It just has site? more trophies. Because, sorry. Yeah. Well, <laughs> but I have to. <laughs> Zing. I'm sorry. Um, 1980s calling Warren um, okay. in Lake Placid. Lake Placid. Uh, okay. Okay. But, uh, but, you know, it's a registration site. You know, it's, you know, it's for parents, it's for players, it's for refs, you know, that's, it's an operational site for that. So I, so you won't normally see the, you know, a crisis statement coming out of there, but Hockey Canada is absolutely mirroring the Catholic Church. I mean, is the same idea. They're using the funds from the parishes and the funds from hockey players to pay to get out of this crisis, yet they are still managed by, sorry, mostly men at the top that still want to manage in a different time. They think they're going to be able to skate through it, and they can't because now also more women play hockey. There are more hockey moms out there. It matters. It really does. So I think that gender inequality is part of the reason why they're sticking to a certain plan. And so this short-sighted, let's just just pluck an, an, uh, an Olympian a female Olympian with a great name and great alliteration, you know, onto the board and this will make it go away. It's that short sighted um, strategic thinking that, you know, they really do not have this handled. And frankly, just like the Catholic church, they still haven't figured it out. It's the guy with the cigar again, making decisions. Uh, let's get uh, Marty McBean. We'll get, I don't know why he talks like that. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, that's right. Let's get Marty McBean on there. And, and so I think what's happened also and Molly, your comments are, are bang on. And you're great with a pun, I have to say. 
I think oh, they've yeah. kind of screwed themselves in terms of trying to fill up this committee with other spots now because this 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 situation's been blown up. Marnie McBean has had this really um, she's declared like I'm not going to be part of this unless they change leadership. Who's going to sign up next? And now we kind right. of know they they were trying to do it in secret and now it's kind of out in the open. So it's going to be really difficult for them to get people to 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 go on that committee who might be in the same boat, like a Silken Lauman. This is another Canadian, no alliteration, but another Canadian medalist. Um, what's the other piece? Oh, oh, I want to talk about the Navigator piece. Now, I don't know about either of you. I worked for a PR firm early in my career, and we would work on a lot of crisis issue stuff. John, you know what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. And full suit every day, flying all over the place, managing these issues. And there was a rule and we, we would have, you know, based on the amount of work and we were working like dogs, you would have some sort of nominal bonus at the end of the year. And that was based on your billings and just how they felt about you generically. But there was a rule in the office and it said, if you ever end up in the picture or on the video or in the story, your bonus is gone or it's like cut in half or something like that. Mm-hmm. That's how seriously we took that. And, and, here we have national ending up part of the story happens a lot. And I've even heard of situations where there's a crisis taking place and they're handing out flyers of like, you know, if you want to contact us and they're sort of using the crisis almost as a business card. I don't know if that's a proper characterization, but what do we think about the, the crisis firm becoming part of the story? Molly, why don't we start with you? I'm going to go on a limb. I don't know Marnie, but I would assume that perhaps they, whoever the handler was, uh, the fixer for Navigator is maybe they assume that Marnie would be none the wiser. You know, she's a woman. She's not going to understand what we're trying to do here. And she outplayed them. I think she, I, I absolutely think she um, flanked them by, by outing them. So I, I, again, like, I don't think she was properly vetted. And like you said, uh, Warren, no one knew where she stood politically, socially um, about uh, this issue. And she was probably so offended by it. And even though she's not a, a hockey player, she's still a female athlete. And, you know, athletes feel strong about, uh, you know, about the organizations that they represent. And I think she was probably appalled. And so good for her for being the leaker. Great comments. Are you a hockey mom also? Is that right? Oh, my God. Am I a hockey mom? Oh, my gosh. You want to see my garage? You know how much old hockey equipment I have to sell? (laughs) Yes. Oh, I am a hockey mom. So that's why this, as a Catholic hockey mom, I feel it, right? Like Because it also bled into the U.S. You know, it's the same issues that we have covering up of... Uh, you know, sexual abuse, you know, it's, it's Boy Scouts, it's hockey, it's the Chicago Blackhawks. I mean, this is an ongoing issue and the NHL has been able to tamper it for a long time, but it's just the culture of boys being sent away in junior hockey and being with families and, you know, being undercover and not, you know, and these stories not quite leaking out, um, but they're all coming out now. The entire culture needs to change. The rotting starts at the top and it needs to go. And that's why we need the Marty McBeans of the world to call it out. And so people understand what's happening. There's another TikTok clip right there. I'm going to go out on a limb and say Scott Smith is gone by January 1st. January. I'm going to throw it out there. Uh, I think they're going to do it over over the holidays when everyone's kind of busy. They're just going to, because I think there's other things that are going to happen. That's what they did to the guy from Boeing. During the holidays, just made him. Yeah, fr- the Friday before Christmas or the Friday before New Year's, maybe. They gave him his $60 million package mm-hmm. and sent him on his <laughs> way. <laughs> John, anything else you want to add on the Hockey Canada story? I know. I, I, the only thing I'll say is that we try at all costs to follow your your rule there, Warren, just to stay out of the news ourselves. But um, I don't know. I, I, I think Molly really summed it up really well. You know, this this is indicative of just not not understanding how to read that, how serious a big and big, big this issue is and, and short-term solutions are not going to, and not going to be a, be a, a long-term fix. I, for one would like to extend Molly, um, honorary Canadian citizenship based on being a hockey mom, knowing all the puns, knowing all our celebrities. It's uh it's an honor to have you. I, I think we should, we should ever hear every week. I would love to. Oh, it would be fun. I mean, you, you guys are so, are so fun and so intelligent. And you know, I just oh, say not just a hockey fun, mom, anyway. my daughter who plays, you know, uh, college soccer, she's the only female on her men's hockey team. Wow. Wow. See, impressive. 
Yeah. So that, you know, and the guys on her team are just wonderful. They treat her, you know, so well, but again, just to tie it like in a boat, you know, tightly is with more women coming into the sport, more hockey moms investing into the sport and, and they're going, you know, now that more women are coming in, they're, they're, you know, they're taking notice of behaviors. They're taking notice of how things are run. And if there's an inequality, people with social media, again, they're more activist minded and they speak out there's a reckoning coming for hockey canada and i think a lot of other organizations after that and um it just seems like the old boys club again and you know i'm hey paranak and i are huge hockey fans we were having our hockey draft night pretty soon oh my god about a month yeah yeah we should see if we can get molly in our hockey pool <laughs> oh it sounds like a boys club or and you just said it was a boys club <laughs> i said hockey is a boys club Hockey's a boy. Okay. It is a boys club. Yes. Uh, any parting thoughts from anyone, anything uh, in, in general from the takeaway from today, anything you want to hit on before we wrap things up? I'll just say Molly should uh, talk to her tax advisor before she accepts that Canadian citizenship. <laughs> it may not be in her interest. Nice. <laughs> Molly, um, where, where can people find you, follow you? Indestructible PR, indestructible PR podcast. Great. Listen. Um, what's your favorite platform right now? Like if I say, where's the one place are you, are you going TikTok? Warren, I I can't even tell you the, what TikTok is the platform of the pulse of what everyone is thinking. So for someone who works in issues management, crisis management, to be able to speak with the public one-on-one like this, and that's what TikTok does. It starts that conversation because you have three minutes and it's video. It is the most unbelievable platform. So now that's where I'm spending a lot of uh, my time on that platform. So what are, um, what are you at, like, follower wise or like, like you have these numbers, but they're, they're bananas. Like when did you first, when did you post your first TikTok related to crisis communications? Uh, an excellent question. So I was a lurker through the pandemic yeah. and it's only been maybe three months that I decided to put myself out there and, uh, and just try it. And, and I'll admit, you know, it, I struck a nerve because a lot of women, I look at the analytics, so a lot more, probably I'm 75% female, which that's a metric to pay attention to because a lot of women are comfortable talking and speaking out online. And my, the peak time that people reply to me, 10 PM at night, right? It's when people are like relaxing, you know, they're watching TV, whatever. And then that's when things um, happen. But I've done interviews with people who are on TikTok. So many people are getting six-figure book deals, TV deal, like all these things are happening because uh, there are brands and experts on uh, TikTok. And I just got the most unbelievable call, Warren and John, um, this past week due to TikTok. So nothing that? is, I cannot say. No, 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 you can't do that. You can't just like dangle it and then not tell us. I'm not going to put it out there. It'd be like me putting out Navigator or something like no. that. But I'm I'm just going to say that it's it's not even about me. Oprah. It's I'm, the fact that, it's no, but it's, it's the content <laughs> This is the feedback. No, that someone said in an industry, right? Wanting to work with me. And this is what I'm reading is, you know, crisis communication. Most people don't care about what we do. They could care less about the, you know, the, the strategy behind it. Like what we do day to day is boring. But when you take the mix of big news stories and people, and it's not just the gossip, people love pop culture and gossip, but people love the strategy and the thinking behind it and why something goes bad and how to make something better, how to fix a problem. So that's why people are interested in this. So I attribute my success, not to me, but Uh because I'm talking, we all are talking about topics that people care about. The fact that your podcast last week for the two of you for Reputation Town was the highest one you ever had was because of the topics that you talk about. We talk about an interesting industry. So it's like my hobby. If I were on, I don't know, a horsey. <laughs> but I think you're being a little bit modest here because if you took this, and I know you will do this, you'll take the same piece of content, you'll put it on TikTok. Instagram and Twitter. I'm guessing that the metrics are not even in the same ballpark. Oh, Twitter to me, I, 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 I have to force myself to use Twitter now. The algorithm, I, be, I bet you two would say the same thing. The algorithm of Twitter is just, they're putting you in with your community of the same people saying the same thing over and over and over again. And not that I don't love my community. I mean, Warren, I know you because of Twitter. I know John because of you who I met through Twitter. And now I thought, you know, that's how we all know each other. So from an industry point of view, I like it. But if you want to get and you want to touch the nerve of the public, 
that is TikTok right now. And TikTok is tied in to Instagram, though I don't think Instagram is doing as well, but people are still communicating and talking on it. Like my DMs on Instagram blowing up just because of uh, TikTok. Wow. So I don't attribute to me. I attribute it to my the public's wanting to know the behind the scenes of what happens. And as both of you are, you're spokespeople for the behind the scenes. You give people, you know, you open the door for people to get behind the scenes on why things happen. And that's what people are interested in. So I think what I hear you saying is that you are the Andrew Tate of crisis response. <laughs> Hell yeah. Uh, no, I wouldn't I would say I'm the extremist. I'm the middle-aged female version of complaining about something. No, someone said to me, um, you're not as funny as you are entertaining and you're not as entertaining as you are animated. I thought, okay, I'll take that as a compliment. And this just in navigator has put gray hair on their logo. So let's see. Uh, All right. That's fun. So, um, Molly, tell people your website where they can check you out. I'm not even going to tell them my website. I'm just go to TikTok. Go to TikTok. Go to Molly B. McPherson. <laughs> talk with me on the talk. John, Molly, thank you very much. The hour and the change flew by, and hopefully we can do this again soon. Thanks. Folks. Oh, my gosh. I love you guys. Thank you. <laughs> we love you, too. John, you got to say it. Oh, love you, too. Oh, Canadians. <laughs> yeah, they don't do it. <laughs> Love you. How are you going to play us out? All right, we got to play our wacky banjo music. Okay, thanks, folks. Thanks for stopping by. If you liked this episode, please rate, review, or recommend the show. See you next time.